This is Lachlan Rouston. This is Raf Freeman. And you're listening to the fittest podcast in Australia, The Mind Muscle Project. All right, Mind Muscle Project, welcome back to another episode of In the Black. Today, I'm joined by another founder who uh, is, a, is a tech founder and in the, the fitness space. Uh, and I'm excited to dig into this story. And uh, as you guys know, our most recent partner of the show and Obviously, for all of you, for the thousands of you that do the, the online program with us, um, the project programming, that is with the Team Builder app. And uh, I have the founder today, Hewitt, on the, uh, to talk about it. Now, it's not the first time um, we kind of found out about Team Builder, but maybe for a lot of you guys, it was kind of the first time using Team Builder. But we're going to get the background story into this amazing app and the software and how it all works and uh, everything else that, that's gone into kind of building this soon-to-be massive empire. So, Hewitt, thank you for joining us on the show. No worries. Man, I would love to know, you know, even before we get into the app and where that started, a bit more about your kind of fitness journey. I think it's always interesting, like, what sort of fitness stuff were you in as a kid growing up and I guess all that leading into when you decided to get into building Team Builder. Yeah, well, I'm like a typical American athlete. Fitness was just a way for me to be a better athlete. Played football in college uh, here in the States. And, um, you know, at some point, the iPhone was coming out, uh, smartphones were coming out, but we were still getting these sheets of paper from our strength coach. And my brilliant teammate and roommate, who's a very talented computer programmer, said, hey, I think uh, we could probably get better participation in our athletic program if we took this paper and put it on an app. And we decided to, to build an app. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah, right. And what, what sport were you doing as a kid? Yeah, football. I played a lot of sports as a kid, but uh, at some point, my dad sat me down and said, hey, I, I love you, but you're not the most talented athlete there is, so it probably would be a good use of your time to focus on one sport, so I ended up focusing on American football. Okay. Well, it was good. Dad's honest. What was the, uh, what was the, was it after a particular game and a particular sport? Did you lose like 106 to nil in basketball or something? I think it was like freshman year of high school. I was playing multiple sports and not really good at any one of them. And he, you know, kind of said, hey, why don't we just pick one and then really do that one year round? I think I was about 14 years old. And you know what? That was a pretty prudent uh, observation on his part. Mm. Yeah, nice. Dad's, dads know how to keep it real. I think that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the best thing for you. Um, okay. Yeah. And then so you obviously were doing a little bit of gym training. Was, did you have any experience in like the CrossFit world coming up or were you mostly sort of strength and conditioning? Um, so our, our college strength coach had us do CrossFit football you know, when CrossFit football came yeah, on the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I look back at those days and I had never been stronger, more powerful and, and you know, had repeatable power. It was a pretty effective program. It, it definitely came with some uh, some negatives as well. You know, it was uh, it was tough to see senior defensive linemen do the exact same program as a freshman quarterback. That was probably not the best thing. Mm. But definitely our, that was my introduction to real formal strength and conditioning was CrossFit football and CrossFit in that way as well, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. And, um, and you mentioned your, your co-founder or your roommate was, you know, into the computer programming stuff. How did you guys meet? What, what was the story of your friendship? Well, we got paired freshman year as roommates in college. And I think it's because, you know, before you come on campus, you fill out a questionnaire and you're trying to pair compatible people. I'm one of five siblings. He's one of six. And I think they just saw that, <laughs> hey, these guys come from big families, just throw them in together. I think that's what happened. But we ended up being pretty good friends. We've roomed all four years. Uh, and even after we graduated, we lived together for like a couple more years. Oh, wow. The joke was that when he got married, he couldn't get a marriage license because we actually had a common law marriage from living together <laughs> so long. 
that, that's that we thought that might might have happened. Um, but we got really lucky. We were good teammates, good friends, and we ended up being good business partners. So that was kind of serendipitous. Mm. And so what what did you obviously like yeah with with business partnerships, you know, I think about my own one and obviously if you're the same person, it's never going to work. But obviously, if you're different people, it works extremely well. You compliment, you see things in a different way that the other doesn't see. So yeah. where, what's your strengths and weaknesses and where does he come in and compliment you? Um, I'm, I'm like the idea guy. I, I have you know quick ideas. I'm quick to take action. Um, he being an engineer by trade and you know within his personality, I think it's really good at thinking things through and kind of drawing out the nuances um, in our ideas. So I think that's how we complement each other really well. Another way I think we complement each other, and I've thought about this over the years, is our partnership has worked well because we do a really good job of suppressing our egos. We don't, we don't necessarily think that one person's opinion is more valid than the others, even if, we really, if we're really convinced we're right. Um, being right doesn't make for a successful partnership. You know, having a you know, compatible, you know, mutually respected decision-making process is what makes for it. So you got to take some personal losses and don't even view them as losses. I think we both do that pretty well. Mm. Yeah, I think definitely one of the strengths, I think in really any close relationship, romantic relationship, business partnership, best friend status, I guess, combining a few of those things for you, but is not really the, everyone's going to have disagreements and fights, right? But it's more like after we have these fights, how do we make up? How do we move forward? How do we learn from them? And I think that is the telling sign of a good partnership. Yeah. Keeping perspective, I mean, if you let a fight sink your relationship, and the relationship has potential to be much more than that fight. You're getting, you know, you're losing. You're both losing, and mm. no one wants to lose. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you decided to start Team Builder. Uh, was it called Team Builder in the beginning? It was always called Team Builder. Okay, and it was just, you know, we came up with it. It sounded good for what we wanted, which was team sports. And uh, we went to get on the internet, TeamBuilder.com, and Team Builder D E R was taken. Mm. Can you get that domain? So we had no choice but to buy dr.net because we couldn't get the .com either. You know, this is when like people bought domains and sat on them and whatever. Yeah. And we couldn't afford to buy the domains that people were parking. So yeah, it was also trendy to kind of take vowels out of things, you know, to make them shorter. So mm-hmm. it was okay by us, but we didn't have the .com for a long time until we could buy it off this guy. Mm-hmm. What, what was the .com? How much, how much did he want for it in the beginning? Do you remember? It's, it's funny. Initially, the guy wanted 3000 uh, US and you know we didn't have that. And we went a couple of years and then we just kept checking periodically. And then all of a sudden, the brokerage, the, dom- the domain broker was willing to sell it for 500. So I guess oh, they figured shit. we weren't going to pay for it. They might as well get a little bit of money for it. So we, we bought it for 500. Nice. Was the team builder with an E, like the correctly spelt way? Uh, was, that, was that like a massive price tag for that one? Do you remember what that cost? Yeah, I think it was pretty outlandish. Um, and quite frankly, I haven't checked it in a while, but like checking it over the years, no one did anything with it. Someone was just paying 12 bucks a year to keep this thing and going to turn it over to some ambitious startup that raised money. Uh, we're ambitious and a startup, but we didn't raise money. So we're not going to pay that much money for your domain. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, that's really one thing that I guess for apps like yours and some other companies you work with like Waterfy, um, and even True Coach as well, one of our other partners is the they've boot you guys bootstrapped it, which is so different to how most tech startups do this way. In fact, most people think that boot bootstrap is not even an option anymore. They think, okay, you have an idea, you get a team, you know, you convince a VC to give you money, and you go from there. 
Um, what tell us the decision maybe to not take funding if it even was an option? How come you bootstrapped it um, versus you know not taking funding? Yeah, I think when we started looking at the fundraising process, we kind of got the idea really quick that you're going to raise some money, you're going to sprint towards this successful company, and it's either going to work or it doesn't, and then you're done. You move on to the next thing. And we weren't interested in that. We wanted to build a business that we really enjoyed that would get a really good chance to succeed and take as much time as we need. So we bootstrapped because we liked working on this product. We liked our customers and all that stuff. And if we took us 10 years to quit our jobs and be full-time, so be it. I wasn't interested in sprinting towards a three-year high growth plan and then selling the company or something like that. Um, now, I look, I look at startups and companies now, and at least here in the U.S., um, companies that raise cash and, and try to grow at these crazy rates, you know, they, that's a favorable. The, the business environment really likes those companies, whether they're profitable or not. And our company is, has been in business eight years now, and we're profitable, but we probably wouldn't be looked at like a shiny object, like a company that grew really quickly for three years and still wasn't profitable. So I kind of look at both. And I'm like, should I have raised money? Should we have gone for that model? And uh, no, I think we're okay doing what we're doing now. And if Team Builder has some sort of acquisition event or something happens where I'm moving on to a new project, I would probably re you know, I would probably consider raising money at that point, but I think it's good to learn how to bootstrap a business. It takes a lot of patience and makes you do things a lot differently. Mm. Okay, so you mentioned uh, building it and then working a full time job. So how long did you work for? And do you remember the the day that you decided to go full time? Yeah, I worked for three years in tech startups, okay. which was great because I would learn things on the job yeah. and then go home nights and weekends, and I had direct application. I think it'd be different if I worked at like, say, an investment bank. I don't know how much I would learn working in banking and then go into doing a startup on the side. So I put myself in an environment that really complemented my, my side hustle, my side project. And I think that was really smart in retrospect. Um, the day I quit my job, you know, we were, I, I wasn't making pretty good money for three years out of college. But um, once you learn that your side hustle can give you enough to live, uh, I think I took like more than a 50% pay cut to quit and, and do team builder. <laughs> And that was totally cool with me. I was like, you know, that is still a good deal. Um, but yeah. I think it's important to also make a little bit of money. Um, you know, I had a little bit of money to, to go on dates or buy some pizza and have a gym membership. And that's still important. So I wasn't going to like live on the street just to pursue my dream. I was still yeah. being a sensible human being. Um, but yeah, the day I quit, you know, once you figure out you can work for yourself versus having to, to work for a company, um, I think it's a pretty easy decision to make. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I, Definitely appreciate the uh, sensible approach to um, to hustling and doing your own thing. I think a lot of people maybe take some of Gary V's information a bit too literally and get a bit too excited and emotional and aren't closely connected enough to what that actually feels like to live on 25 grand a year or 20 grand a year. And then when they're in it, they're like, oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. You kind of put a timeline on yourself and I, I didn't want that. I wanted enough money to kind of like live sustainably. Because again, I wanted to give my business a chance and I didn't want to put a timeline on myself like six months and if I don't make it, I'll go back to working. I didn't want that. I wanted a fair shot. Mm. Uh, so I felt like, you know, once I was giving myself a fair shot, I could do it. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so you're building this, you're building that, you go full-time. Uh, I assume you guys both went full-time around a similar similar yeah, time similar frame? time frame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. And then uh, was it, well, I mean, what was the steps from there? You're full-time now, you're sitting down every day and it's like, cool, now all that energy, time and focus goes into here. Did you notice a big difference 
in putting your, all your time to it or did it still grow at a sort of slow, sustainable rate? Um, going full time is like adding rocket fuel. Uh, yeah. Not just the function of time, but the amount of care and attention you can put into it helps a lot. It makes a big difference. Um, what also helps is I got to do all the jobs that I eventually hired for. So when I hired a salesperson or a customer support person or a marketing person, I already did all those things. That's really helpful, you know, to kind of have some structure in place, especially for really young people that you're hiring out of college. Um, so no, we grew quickly. Uh, when I went full-time, when James went full-time and when we started bringing people on, um, that was a big pivotal moment for us, I think. Mm. No, I think what you mentioned there is pretty pretty distinguishing difference between bootstrapping and I guess raising capital is because when you raise capital, a lot of that money is spent on people, right? Most of it is spent on hiring people to do the work for you. And very likely that means you don't have to do that work. You just kind of have to manage those people. But if you've never done that work to any sort of standard, you have no idea if they're doing a good job or not. You don't know what the minimum standard is for this thing. You don't know how hard it's going to be. You don't know really know what it's worth in terms of your time. So there is a ton of value, I think, in bootstrapping that, yeah, when you go to hire someone, you're like, okay, I know what needs to get done for this job, but I know when they're doing an exceptional job. Yeah. I look, I suspect when people invest in first-time founders, they're not investing in the founder's capabilities per se. They probably recognize a founder that has a unique insight to like a disruptive product or service, and they want mm. to invest in that. Mm. Being a first-time founder is very, very hard. Um, I'm, you know, it's very risky, I would presume. So I, I think that's probably what goes on when first-time founders do get funding. Yeah. Mm. And, 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 and talking of hiring and people, like how did you go making your first hires? Like how did you, obviously there's the two of you working in it, doing most stuff. What was, the, what was the story behind the first hire? Oh God, now I got to talk shit on my brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do it. Do uh, it. Man. My brother is a very, very good sales guy. Very good salesman. Um, I knew that I hired him and making sales was not his issue. Working closely with someone in your family is very tricky. And I had to learn that lesson the hard way. You know, I, when you're going to work and you're building your company, you're the, the boundaries with a family member and being a founder trying to start a business, they get blurred and that can get kind of messy. So that was my first hire as my brother. And, you know, we both, we both kind of came to the same conclusion and uh, he ended up moving on amicably. It was totally fine. Um, but then I, I found that, you know, hiring other people was definitely good as well. Uh, people that weren't hiring family and friends is not a good idea. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right? Uh, that, that I, I kind of found that out. I think it works differently, right? Like I, I know some really good businesses that are family run businesses, but for us, it, it wasn't the case. Um, secondly, what I found over the years is that I can take hires and I can teach them skills. I can teach them our Excel sheets. I can teach them these internal systems and processes that we use. Um, but that doesn't quite add magic to the company. What I like to do nowadays is I like to hire people who like our industry, who like uh, strength and conditioning and, and training, not just like sports, right? Everyone likes sports, not just like CrossFit, right? Everyone likes to look good. I like people who like coaching. So the last couple of hires I've made are people who were going down the coaching track. They were either interns or GAs or actively working with coaches. And they've turned out to be my best hires. And it's because they respect the industry, they respect the profession, and they value it. And those employees have worked out so much better than the ones who like sports and kind of like coaching, but, you know, they're not committed to the industry. So that's what I like to do. I like to hire coaches. I like to hire people who respect our customers. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, so what, um, 
what is the the main, I guess, driving force now behind Team, team Build as you guys become a bit more mature, mature and kind of obviously that you, you build one core product and that's what you guys get known for. What have been mm-hmm. sort of the processes of like, okay, where are we going next? Who are we sort of hiring now? What sort of power do we need? Because obviously you had a salesperson in the beginning. Great move, obviously. Need to mm-hmm. generate revenue. That's a big thing. That's right. Where, yeah. you know, where is or what direction are you kind of building the team towards at the moment? So the model that we've created for ourselves and, and we kind of came up with this on our own is that we always want to have more engineers employed than salespeople because we've always said that we're a product first company. And if you have more salespeople pushing the product than people building it, it's kind of hard to really believe that you're product first. Mm. So we always have engineers and we're hiring one soon and we'll have more engineers and we do now uh, than we do salespeople. That's number one. And I think that's super important because the product sells itself in a way. And that is only true if you really put most of your resources into the product. So that's how we treat our personnel in terms of structure. Now, in terms of how we build our product in the future, we came out of the team strength and conditioning space, college, high school, professional. We do really well there. And then we have the other side of fitness, which is personal trainers, gyms, you know, performance facilities. And all the softwares we've seen out there have kind of been catering to one or the other. And in our own right, we've been catering to the team sport place. And James and I are convinced that there is the ability to build features that benefit both. We think it's very possible. And that's what we focus on. We want to build features that benefit Ohio State football, as well as benefits, you know, Excel training and performance private facility in Australia. We think it can be done. So when we look at features, we think, how do we bridge the gap? How do we build things that are really valuable and intuitive for both of these users? Because we think it's, we think it's possible. Mm. Yeah, awesome. And then for the, the two of you as founders now, what has your role evolved into? Obviously, jack of all trades in the beginning. And then as you start to build a team, I'm not sure how big the team is now. How do you start to change your role and what does it look like at the moment? Yeah, so for James, um, we, we have to look at our comparative advantages. James is a brilliant developer and he is a brilliant manager of developers. That's really valuable. So we're looking to take away things from James's scope of work that lets him focus more on coding and managing the people who are coding the product. That one's pretty easy. For my role, um, I have a lot of different departments, you know, from marketing to customer success to sales to operations to a lot of stuff. So for me, my role is kind of that of a COO. And realistically, it's more of like a project manager. And I help people on specific projects while also keeping an eye on a dozen projects going on at the same time. And making sure we're prioritizing the right ones. So I, I, I look at the COO role as, as my role and I, I really kind of embrace it. And you have to be really you know, really scrutinizing of where you spend your time. Um, a lot of things can creep in and you have to kind of cut those things out to really make the important things the important things. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And what are you finding now is what falls into that category? I mean, obviously your, your mind changes on a lot of things is that wow, I really need to focus more on the hiring. Do I need to like manage people more tightly? Do I need to build better systems? Or it's all of the above. Um, well, hire a good accountant or accounting team. <laughs> that's um, for sure. Like it, that stuff will suck your soul. I mean, really, um, if you can outsource that, it, it really helps. Um, we loved having an office, but now we're completely remote. Right. Um, we don't have to worry about an office anymore. That's kind of something that's off our plate. That's good. We like that. Um, you know, think about some things you can really outsource. Don't be obsessed with outsourcing, but, but think about that. Um, in my world, I, you know, 
what I think about what would bury our company, right? If we had zero free trials on our software this past month, that would be really hard to get our sales guys to make sales. We got to get trials in the door. I have to evaluate where we spend our money on marketing, on advertising, see what works, see what doesn't. It kind of starts there. And then we work on the sales team. Are, you know, are they optimizing the outcomes that we get with these leads? Those are really, really important. And then of course, as we build our business over time, we're a renewal business. People pay for our software, then they come up the next year, the next month, they have to pay for it again. They only do that if they're using it, if they feel like they're getting value out of it. And that's where customer success come in. Um, so I, I really boil things down to what would bury the company? Okay, that's your lifeline. Every day you should be very uh, attentive to that stuff. And then once you feel confident in that, you can then move on to things that are a little bit more peripheral. But um, the big rocks are the big rocks and you got to pay attention to them at all times. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, okay, so that's a lot of the stuff, uh, obviously, as team builder, as the business. Now, you more personally, what does, how's your routine um, as a founder kind of evolved over time? I think people are always curious for, you know, sort of the type A personality, high achievers, people that uh, have a lot on their plate, juggling a lot of balls. How do you kind of manage um, your diary, your schedule, your morning, your evening routines, all mm -hmm. the above? Yeah, I worked with an executive coach that kind of took me through a routine that had to do with a journal, and that's pretty helpful, um, but I'm not obsessed about my own personal routine. Um, I, it, I guess it's my personality type, but like, um, I'm okay relaxing. I'm okay doing things that I like to do personally that have nothing to do with work. So I, I think I recognize that it's important to me to, to do those things. So for example, I, I like to ski. I live out here in Breckenridge, Colorado. I've skied 80 days this year. Um, it's important to me. I like doing that. It doesn't mean that I'll also do an, another activity 80 days, but I am going to do that. That's part of my process. It's like I have to really recognize what I enjoy doing and I have to do those things because that's what brings me energy when I come back to work, come on, you know, online on Monday morning. So that's important to me. I, I think I'll start with that is recognize what you like. If that mm -hmm. means reading business books 24-7, then, then do that. But that's not for me, right? I, I like to get out and, and do some other things. I don't have to do it more. Mm. Um, when it comes to work, um, focusing on my employees, making sure that they're happy and fulfilled um, is hugely important um, because turnover can really hurt your company. If you have four trainers and two of them leave, you're going to make quick hires and that might make you prone to making bad hires. Um, so I really make sure that people are happy and fulfilled at their jobs here at work. That's part of my routine is checking with people and being attuned to their needs and their own happiness because that's important to me and, and our company's outcome as well. Um, other than that, I don't think working out is um, like my lifeline, but I definitely have to work out uh, to feel good about myself, to feel good that like I'm participating in the industry that I work in, right? It would feel really wrong if I didn't lift and I was selling software to strength coaches around the world. So I'm definitely into that. I like uh, just old school bodybuilding workouts for now. I really got to get out of that routine. I uh, get my workouts from pen and paper strength app, believe it or not. I, work, oh, yeah. I run a software fitness business and I buy my workouts from pen and paper strength app, but it sells PDFs, but you know, whatever. That's what I like to do. I really enjoy doing those. Mm. So that's a little bit about my routine, but I, um, I don't have a strict routine like a morning or morning gratefulness that I do. I think it's important to, to wake up and really think about like what would energize me that morning. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean working. So mm. I'm kind of open-minded when it comes to that. Mm. Yeah. By the sounds of it, it seems like you've spent a bit of time in self-reflection and coming to the, I guess, conclusion of, no, this is how Hewitt is optimal and this is how he's going to be the best for team builder. 
was there a sense in the beginning of, you know, when you're a little bit less confident in your abilities as, you know, a business leader, as a founder, that you were like, uh, maybe carried a sense of guilt or maybe fraud syndrome trying to, you're like, no, I really want to ski, but, you know, this tech mogul says, no, you got to do a, you know, 100 hour week, you got to be doing nonstop. And you, you maybe were like, well, I really want to ski, but I know maybe I should be reading business books, doing extra development, doing late nights, all that sort of stuff. Did you wrestle with that a little bit in the beginning or over time? Okay. That's a, that's a really good point. Okay. When I'm, when I'm 24 years old and working on team builder, no, I'm not skiing 80 days a year. I am not going to Coachella with friends. I gave up um, a pretty significant portion of my social life in my early to mid twenties. Insecurity definitely drives that, um, you know, I went to a good college with a lot of people who go into traditional careers, uh, banking and consulting and med school. And if I'm working on my business, I want something to show for it. So early, early in my 20s, um, it was kind of lonely. You know, I, I definitely was working harder, longer hours than I am now. I definitely identified more by my business. And I think as the business become, had become more successful and I grew older, then I kind of started valuing other things because that insecurity, that pressure is kind of gone. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's like a good narrative, um, but I, it was good for me, I think, uh, to have a little hustle in the beginning. And then once you make it a little bit, have some perspective, step back. Because if I kept the same kind of attitude now today that I did back in, you know, my early 20s, what kind of way is that to live life, right? What are you, what are you aiming towards? We have a pretty moderately successful business. What's the point of working that much harder for some marginal results? That wouldn't really give me the same fulfillment. So I think my attitude definitely shifted over the years as my business created more security and a little bit more success for, for James and I. Mm. And do you think that the potential you lose a bit of your tenacity and potential for growth by bringing a bit more balance to your life and perspective, not saying either answers right or wrong, but obviously the thing that gets you to the dance potentially might be the thing that can take you to the next step. You know, there's a lot of founders that constantly borrow more money. They constantly reinvest. They constantly back themselves into the same corner they had when they started to give themselves no option, but to succeed. Obviously you've taken a different approach. Does that sometimes cross your mind that potentially you've lost a bit of the uh, same energy and tenacity that you began with? It does. It crosses my mind. But I think about how I can kind of best impact people around me. If I kind of had the same tenacity and the same attitude that I did in my early 20s, I don't know if that would necessarily be the best thing for my family, you know, my wife, my employees. Um, I think I probably have a, a better impact on my relationships, right? Because that's what really matters is my relationship with people uh, rather than the success of my business. Um, I, I think I'm better off now with, you know, where I am in this state of mind uh, than otherwise, because if you're going to be a high performer at the very tip of the bell curve, inevitably, you're going to alienate some people, you know, because that's just how life works, right? You're going to have different interests, different uh, priorities in terms of how you spend your time and your attention. So I'm okay with it. I'm at peace with it. And um, look, you know, we still work hard here and reinvest a lot of resources into our business. Of course, um, We just don't lose sight of the main thing. Um, I feel better off for it. I really do. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Um, okay. And uh, as we kind of, you know, finish this up, this conversation, what would be potentially some of the most, give people an idea, would be some of your best advice to potentially new founders um, starting in any business, really? Um, maybe we could keep it potentially to this sort of strength conditioning industry. So maybe it's a new coach. Uh, maybe it's someone, a gym owner who's opening up their first facility. Obviously, a lot of your clients as well, people like us. 
um, even online coaches as well. Uh, what sort of insights or what's maybe a big key lesson you would you know impart onto them uh, as they begin their journey? Yeah, I, there are many, many lessons. One I like to talk about is um, being intimately uh, or just being intimate with your customer. Knowing your customer is more than just customer research, right? It's more than being part of the industry. Um, it's really going above and beyond for your customer. I think about like this one example, when I was first dating, dating my wife, I was, we were in bed and at like 11 o'clock at night, I was on my phone writing an email. She was like, what are you doing on your phone writing an email? And I was like, oh, this customer had a question and they're in a different time zone. So I'm just going to get back to them right now. And um, that's just a little microcosm for that's being customer centric, right? Mm -hmm. Not a sustainable behavior. I do that less today now than I did before. But in the early days, we were just obsessed about making sure the customers liked our product and liked us. And then I felt like everything kind of took care of itself from there because in our early days, our growth came from customers telling other people about us. And I think that's how it works in a lot of industries. Uh, we have a huge marketing budget today, but I can't take that budget and buy the word of mouth referrals uh, mm. that come organically to our business. And the only reason that happened is because we, we really like our customers, we're invested in them. And it kind of ties back to what I said about hiring. If I can hire people who respect their profession and respect our customers, they're going to do more for us. So that, that's a big one. It's easy to like your business, to love your logo, right? If you have the sweet company name, that stuff's easy. Um, do you love your customers? Do you really like working with them and talking to them and supporting them? That's what's going to get you over the finish line, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I'd say as a testament to what you just said, um, you know, we had a, a little bit of a hiccup in the beginning when we we're loading up one of our first programs. And then Connor was like, oh, it's, it was like the weekend. And he was, he was messaging uh, your team. I thought, fuck, these guys are actually on top of it here. Like they are, they're texting with him. Like who, who just starts texting with him to sort out issues? Like normally it's like an email and then you get a reply. We've seen your email and we will get back to you within 24 hours. And it's this whole drawn out process, which can last a week over one really small problem, but it was very quickly fixed. And I'll tell you what, the anxiety, my anxiety levels dissipated very quickly. So big credit to you and the team of just getting that sorted for us. And I think like I was telling my team yesterday at the meeting, every company is going to make mistakes. It's just how you, how you, I guess, come back from that mistake or how you handle that mistake uh, with your customer that says a lot about your company. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. As we keep adding kids to our families and as we get older, I, I wonder how much weekend texting will do. But for now, yeah, we are texting on weekends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like you said, it's customer centric. And I think that's definitely why we made the decision to go with you guys uh, and why are we, you know, telling other people and obviously telling all the people listening. But um no, I think that's a, it's, it's a very fascinating story and a great journey. So Hewitt, uh, anything you want to leave the audience with, anything to wrap up with, maybe some insights about what's coming with Team Builder in the future for them to look out for and with yourself? You know, I, I don't know if there's anything specifically about Team Builder that's going to be like, you know, really, really uh, exciting to the people listening. But I do have this one funny story. Um, there's this gym in this facility that I kind of work out of is co-working in a gym and a hotel. So I go to the gym and it's, it looks like a CrossFit style gym, but the trainers don't do CrossFit. And I was training one day and the trainer came in and said, Hey, we have a hit class right after open gym. Do you want to come to the hit class? And I was like, Oh, sure. I'll do a double, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll participate. And um, it wasn't very good. In fact, it was awful. It was just an <laughs> awful class. Uh, the movements made no sense. The programming didn't make any sense. Um, it was just a bad class, right. In this great facility. And, um, you know, I was talking to my, my buddy back home, who's a, a customer of mine, and he's moving from one gym space to another. He's doubling in size. 
he's nervous, right? He's got to sign a bigger lease, a longer term lease. And I was telling him about this gym and the movements and whatever we're talking, the programming. And he said, you know what, man, it's stories like this that make me sleep better at night, knowing that I'm going to open a bigger gym and take a bigger risk because um, there's plenty of people who like to go to classes and do fitness and don't necessarily know it's not the best for them. Um, but then there's gyms like mine and we'll be there for them when they're ready to work with someone who, you know, put the time and effort into to make a quality gym and quality program. So I just thought it was a fun story. Mm. Uh, didn't have to do a team builder. So I put that out there and uh, you know, I like to, uh, you know, subtly kind of get into maybe seeing if I can help the gym here as well. Cause like, I don't want to see any gym fail. I want them all to succeed. So yeah, just interesting personal story from uh, yeah. my past. Life. That is good. I like that. story. it's going to some good lessons yeah. in there. Um, Hewitt, it's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, have you on the show and share the story. We look forward to uh, a great partnership with team builder and guys, obviously anyone that does the programs, you guys know super easy to use as I know there's some more features coming, like some longer form videos with some instructional stuff that we'll be posting in there. Um, but what I love about it is it gives us the flexibility and the tools to make it really easy, um, to kind of put our programs in and then have people use them and access them. And the feedback has been great. So, um, yeah, thank you to everyone who, who uses the app with us. And then, yeah, anyone listening to this who obviously wants to use their programs in the app, uh, it's pretty easy to access all at the same link that we always use. So Hewitt, again, thank you for being on the show. We appreciate it. And we love your work at Team Builder. Thank you, man. Look, happy to come on and honored and proud to work with MMP. We're so pumped about it. Awesome, man. Thank you. All right, folks. Thank you, Project, for tuning in again to another episode of the My Muscle Project. Uh, we release an episode every single Monday. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, the My Muscle Project, to stay up to date with everything we're doing. And if you have some time, leave us a review and a five-star rating on iTunes. And don't forget, we have a second show of the week, The After Show. So it's no longer a rest day on Thursdays. If you have any questions for Lachlan and I for that show, head to the mymuscleproject.com forward slash The After Show. And if you ask questions, we'll, uh, we'll answer it on the show. Thanks again so much, Project, and we'll see you all next week.